0: I didn't put this up earlier because I didn't have control of the the screen, and now I have the screen. So, <clears throat> welcome. I didn't know exactly what to call it, so I just called it the Area Community Fellowship Service, and I, and I think it fits. Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction to the evening, uh, it it's been a blessing to watch by social media cuz i hadn't been able to participate but the the nightly gathering in a time of prayer just praying for our community praying for revival and and thinking how how blessed i feel to be back in this community uh, i look out here and i see people who put on VBSs I went to as a small child. And, you know, I, if people really want to push me to nail down, you know, what people, you know, what denomination I claim, well, I'm a, I'm a mutt. And I'm a real good mutt because I, I went to VBSs wherever they were. My parents figured out, hey, send them because the Bible said, train up a child in the ways that he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. So I get to be a testimony of the faithfulness of the churches in our community. And, and there's not a church represented here tonight that haven't been blessed by the ministry of the people there. So try not to get weepy on that because uh, our, our people get used to it. But there, there's times that just the overwhelming goodness of God wrecks me. And it's probably going to happen a couple times tonight as we talk about revival. And, and I, it's the cry of my heart, first and foremost, it's very selfish sounding, but I'm praying that God would revive me and, and that it'll start to overflow on the people in my life. Because if God's not reviving me, then I missed it. And we're going to look at a, a very central fact tonight that Jesus is always at the center of revival. He's always at the center. If it's a revival that breaks out and it's not centered around Jesus, you don't want any part of that. Okay, And we're living in the day and age when that can happen. Okay, Jesus said in the last days there would be many false teachers and false prophets that would show up so that they could lead many astray. So as you're seeking revival, make sure you're seeking Jesus first. And get Jesus at the center of it and watch Him do the amazing. But Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at two stories of revival that are intertwined and beautifully in the account from Luke uh, normally I'm all about I'm going to preach out of John because John, John is my dude. Okay, John is Jesus' best friend by his own proclamation. He never references himself as John the entire gospel. He just simply calls himself the one who Jesus loved or the disciple who Jesus loved. And you can say that's very arrogant. I can say that's how I describe myself as my friend's best friend. I don't reference myself in the third person. I say, hey, I'm his or her best friend. You know, my wife is my best friend, but Casey Drew has been my best friend since we could get in trouble together. And he would say the same thing if he were here tonight. But Luke chapter 8 now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named. Most of us in the Western world, we call him Jairus. Uh, His actual pronunciation is Jairus, which is neither here nor there. If I call him one or the other, I'm not talking about two people. I promise I just get my brain scrambled sometimes. So if I call him Jairus, forgive me. If I call him Jairus, roll with it. Okay. If if you don't like it, we could just shorten his name to J. But he was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Revival is always found, with Jesus at the center of it, by people who are waiting, welcoming, or simply in desperation falling at Jesus' feet. This is the root of revival. Is are you waiting? Are you expecting something from Jesus? Are you welcoming? Not just to Jesus and to His Holy Spirit working in and through you, but are you welcoming to the people He wants to revive through reviving you? And maybe you're at the other part of this. You're at desperation where you don't have anywhere else to turn and you're falling at Jesus' feet. And there was a woman who had a discharge. If you're reading in the King James, it says it really well. She had an issue of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, the King James said she had suffered many things at the hands of physicians. She could not be healed by anyone. we we'll talk about a... A tragic story there but if we look at it I think it's even deeper than that because for 12 years this woman's identity was wrapped up in her condition she was an outcast because of an issue of blood she was considered unclean in her culture she could not be around groups of people she could not gather like we are tonight to worship she was outcast she was unclean She was sick and she was suffering. These are things that people living in in this room and people that are living amongst us understand. She was called and labeled unclean by the religious establishment. Try as we might, the world is always going to look at the church and say we're judgmental. Even if we're not, they're going to call us that. She's labeled by her circumstance. She felt unknown, unseen, and unwelcome. There's a whole generation of people that fit that label. There's a whole generation of them right now that are being revived, and we're getting to see it in real time thanks to the world we live in. The generation that felt unknown, unseen, and unwelcome are seeing Jesus move in their hearts and their lives in a way that generations before them begged to see happen again. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. In the Hebrew, that's the word hamation, which means a single thread of a tassel hanging off a priestly robe. This is one of the only times in Scripture we see Jesus in a priestly robe going from one place to another. And immediately the discharge of her blood ceased. She found, one, she found revival in one desperate touch on the fringe. A lot of us think that doing the same thing over and over and over and over is what brings revival. And I, I want you to understand, Jesus can revive you anywhere. You may experience revival tonight on the drive home where God just overwhelms you with His Spirit and begins to speak to you in a powerful new way. You may experience it in the morning taking your shower to get ready for work. You may experience it walking through the doors of work. You may experience it next Sunday in church. You may experience it in the grocery store we sometimes limit God's operating in our life to our schedule instead of opening our schedule to revival opening it to where God I'm desperate for you I don't I don't care where it is you reach out to me in revival I want you to meet me there God I want you to meet me in my work God I want you to meet me in my drive to work God I want you to meet me when I lay my head down on the pillow God I want you to meet me when I first roll out of bed God, over coffee tomorrow morning, I want you to meet me in a powerful way and revive me because the world around me needs to see your revival in me. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And I tried to picture this in my mind. People just crowded around Jesus and Jesus turns and looks with a serious look on his face and says, who just touched me? If that doesn't make you giggle a little bit at the sight of that in your head, you're kind of missing it because Peter, the guy that we all kind of are hard on sometimes, Peter asked exactly what I would have asked. Master, the crowd is all around you and you are asking who touched me? And Jesus replies, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. In the middle of it all, in the middle of life pressing and squeezing you, I want you to understand that Jesus knows. Jesus knows if you're really seeking revival or if you're putting on a show. Jesus knows if if you're almost at the end of it, and no one else around you may know that you're about to crack and absolutely lose it, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And He knows that all you need is a single touch. But guess what? There's times, folks, that Jesus wants you to reach out and touch Him. Not wait for Him to touch you. This woman pushed through the crowd and if you you want to real visualization of it she was not unknown as she felt people probably knew who she was and she's crawling and pressing her way through the crowd just hoping she can touch him as he goes by she's probably being kicked being stepped on by this crowd that wants to get to jesus and in desperation she touched him how desperate are we as the church to touch jesus We've been lulled into this, this idea that we'll just sit here and wait for the blessing. Revival doesn't come for people that sit and wait for the blessing. Revival comes for people who push through the crowd and touch Jesus. If that offends you, read the Word of God. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, this is the part of revival that people skip over because it's uncomfortable. You know how uncomfortable it would be if you reached through the crowd, touched Jesus, and you felt selfish about it. I'm telling you to ask God to revive me feel selfish. It's not. It's exactly what God desires for each and every person in here. He desires to make you alive in a way that fulfills his glory on this earth. It's not selfish. It's a God-given desire. And he turns Jesus turns and he sees her. Can you imagine a woman who had felt unseen and unknown suddenly looking into the face of the one who had healed her and feeling completely and utterly exposed? And she came trembling because in that society, an unclean person touching you made you unclean. You know what? There's nothing you can bring to the table that will make Jesus unclean. There's nothing that can walk through the door of your church that will make Jesus unclean. Church, it's time for us to go out and to beat the hedges and the highways and find and seek that which is lost and show them that Jesus loves them, that there is nothing that they can identify themselves as. There's nothing they can do that can make them so unclean that Jesus cannot change them. And she falls down before Him and she declares in the presence of all the people why she had touched Him. You know what we call that? In almost every church I've been in, you know what that's called? She gave her testimony. Jesus didn't demand her testimony, but He demanded her testimony. You know why? He doesn't reveal it to us until He reveals it to John on the Isle of Patmos but that's how you overcome. That's how you overcome this world is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Jesus turned, and I can only imagine the love in His eyes that scared her half to death. And she told them how she had been immediately healed. Revival will lead to you sharing your testimony. Testimony. The, the trouble is sometimes we, we get this imposter syndrome where when God starts revival around us, we start sharing other people's testimony. Instead of God, give me the opportunity to share my testimony. But, but preacher, my testimony may be insignificant. I want you to understand that God specializes in the insignificant. Insignificant. The insignificant part of your testimony may be the key to the lock on the chains that's binding somebody else. Five loaves and two fishes was insignificant. Look what Jesus did with that. I know we're coming up to Lent and a lot of people are going to give up social media. If you're not giving up social media, make it your goal. From today on, On social media, give a testimony of something that God has done in your life that day. Even if you think it's insignificant. And watch God work through it. You may not see it this side of heaven, but guess what? Somebody may come up and hug you in heaven and say, you know that time you posted this on Facebook? And in heaven you'll remember. You'll be like, oh yeah! That's why I did that. Not because some crazy preacher in gate told me to. But because God had a plan. Your testimony matters. Your testimony can unlock revival in somebody else. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace beautiful thing about revival when Jesus comes to revive you He will always speak to your identity as He sees you He didn't speak to the identity that she had claimed for herself as unclean, as unknown as unloved, as a woman with issues what did He call her? daughter daughter I mean, that, that gets me because when I look at my girls and I think that's my daughter, there's emotion tied to that, that that can't adequately be expressed because He's speaking to her that you belong. That more than you belong, but you're precious to me. I'm telling you, when Jesus revives you, He will speak to your identity in Him. He will call you sons and daughters. And you'll begin to understand that that verse that Paul wrote about the spirit of adoption that makes us call Jesus' dad our dad. Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't you love their compassion? Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him and said, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. In the midst of revival, there will always be naysayers. There's always going to be people saying, No, God's not really doing that. That's just people getting excited and getting emotional. God's not really doing that. That, That's not the way that We've always done it. Ouch. <laughs> I won't keep going down that path. That that won't be nice. I'm going to be nice. <laughs> but the naysayers don't have the final say. Jesus has the final say. He had it on Calvary when he said, "It is finished." He was the living embodiment of his Father who knows when to say it's enough. It is finished. If he steps into your life and says, That struggle that you've had, it is finished. It's finished. If he steps in and says, That's not your identity. You're not a sinner. You're you're not lost in your sin. You're my son. Guess what? You are who he says you are. How are you going to know that? I'll tell you very simply. Every pastor in the room will get excited. It's in the Bible absolutely tells you what God says about you we don't have the hours for me to break it down for you because you can ask my church folk I am very wordy notice I didn't say nerdy I'm wordy but I am a nerd I do tend to break things down on the nerdy side and when he came to the house he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter John James and the father and mother of the child And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing she was dead. I want you to understand, not everyone in the church is going to get excited about revival. That's a a true statement. That's not a judgmental statement. That is a true statement. Not everyone will get excited about revival. And that's okay. Because maybe they're in a place that God has put them that they're not ready for that. Sometimes we get all judgy with each other too, church. Maybe you're not. Maybe God's called you a time for just a time of quiet, reflective growth. Maybe God's pulled you aside to let you heal up from some church hurt you got in a revival. Church hurts a real deal. It happens. And then there's just some people that are so blinded to the truth, they'll never, and we're talking outside the church, that you're not going to get to save them all. I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of people that think they got it. Jesus talked about it. He said in that day, There will be a lot of them that will come up and they'll tell you every great thing they did. But they didn't have Jesus at the center of their revival. And he'll look at them with, I'm guaranteeing you there will be sorrow in his eyes and hurt in his voice when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because he's full of compassion. I don't have time to go on my Old Testament discourse the Old Testament is not just God's wrath and fury. It's God's mercy being shown over and over again where He's patient with humanity. He's going to hold them to a standard, but He loves them enough to deal out discipline when it's needed. I'm telling you, that little dude walking up the aisle needs a lot of discipline from his dad. <laughs> Perfect timing. There he goes. But the second woman, how she's identified... If you look at it, they talk about her age. She's turning 12 years old. In Hebrew culture, that was coming of age. She was going to be able to go into some of the most exciting years of her life. She was going to be available for marriage. She was going to carry on her father's legacy because she's the only child. So whoever married her was going to become the heir of her father's estate. She had her whole life and her future snatched away by death. And she looked like a lost cause to the world. I've never seen a clear-cut picture in Scripture of addiction. We live in a world full of people who are addicted to many, many things. And and I'm not going to get into doctrinal issues. I'm just going to tell you, if you're addicted to anything other than Jesus Christ, that addiction is a God that you are serving. That is modern day idolatry. And God is looking to root it out of His church. But we live in a society that sees people that are addicted and we want to throw them away like they're just a lost cause. That they gave up their whole future. They let it be snatched away. I want you to know that Jesus still speaks revival in those situations. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child arise. Again, speaking to her identity. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And I don't have a slide for that, but I'll give you the freebie behind why Jesus told them not to tell anyone what, would, what had happened. That was him extending mercy to them. You're already going to be well known by the small group of people that are going to tell everybody your daughter was dead and then she's back alive. As a ruler of the Sanhedrin, he was going to have to answer questions he didn't have answers for, and it was going to ruin him in society. And Jesus extended him mercy by saying, Don't tell anyone. You don't have to testify to this, you don't have to proclaim this to the world. We don't have that luxury, church. We were given the Great Commission. (laughs) So when God revives you and does things in your heart, I want you to understand that that message is for the world. It's the one time where we get to cross Scripture a little bit. But child arrives. He speaks to her identity, and He revives her. He takes what was dead and makes it alive again. Sometimes revival is not all about... The, the physical and about your, your mental state. But sometimes Revival Church is about something God had called you to do that you simply let wither and die. And God's calling you back to action where maybe it's time you started to use that gift and that talent that God has given you again for His glory instead of letting it sit on the bench. God didn't give you talents and skills for you to set them on the bench. He gave them to you to make His name great. Revival will make you hunger for more. When God begins to revive you, you want more of His presence. You want more of His Word. You want more time with His people. You want more opportunities to tell the world about Him. It's kind of one of those places where you just want to leave it in a dead hang for a long time. Because if we keep saying the word hunger, I'm going to have a different crowd on my hands. Because we all smell the food. We all in our physical bodies will be hungry. So what are we going to do with this as we bring it to a close? I have to take it right back to where we started. Are you putting Jesus at the center of what's going to revive you? And that looks different for every person. Not Jesus looks different because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Son of God. He was crucified for our sins. He resurrected on the third day and He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. These are all things that are told to you in Scripture. The other thing, Jesus said Himself, He's making a place for you so that where He is, you may be also. Very comforting words. He said it for us to comfort each other with those words. So, here's the thing. I want Jesus to have to make more rooms. That's the cry of my heart. As a minister of the Gospel, I want Jesus to have to make more rooms Because I shared him with more people. Because he's worth sharing. He can take the dead and make it alive. He can take what the world is throwing away and calling worthless and completely transform it and change the identity of it to where it's the most treasured Piece of, of God's creation again. Or it's the masterpiece that God put on this earth to bear His image. When we look at people, do we look at what they do and what they say and, and decide, ah, it's too much for Jesus? Or do we look at them and what they do and what they say and, and genuinely have a heart for revival say, God, teach me to love them. Teach me to serve them. Teach me to give to them. Because when you do that, Jesus is at the center of that revival. Because Jesus cared more about people than He did Himself. And when you care more about people than you care about yourself, that's when Jesus will work through you. In a spirit of revival, the world will not recognize, but they'll want it. And then you get to make the introduction and just watch him work. You'll get to go pray for people like the, the Bible talks about. You'll lay hands on them and they will recover. Man, I want to I be part of the church of our community at seeing the dead come to life.